You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am your host, Claire O'Brien, a nurse practitioner, and this week is our 10 questions. So I put up a question box on Instagram and just let people ask random questions, whatever, and I get some really good ones, some really funny ones, um, some really specific that I'm not going to answer if it's your personal medical history, but um, yeah, just all over the place. So really good ones this week. Um, I'm going to start with, is it harmful to be on a gluten-free diet if you don't really need to? Um, Gosh, yeah, the short answer would be no. I mean, if you want to be gluten-free and you don't have celiac or gluten gluten sensitivity, um, that's fine. It's certainly not going to hurt you. Um, You're, what you might be missing, I don't know, is, I mean, so gluten is um, a protein that is contained in wheat, barley, rye, and malt. And The problem is typically with people that have something like celiac disease or gluten insensitivity, they can't actually adequately break these down or they cause a reaction when they're, when they do eat them. So, I mean, you're not really missing out on a ton that I would consider nutritionally important. Um, Whole grains and wheat, you know, are super helpful, but you can still get those um, from other places. It's, it just will look a little bit different for me if you're going to stick to a really strict um, gluten-free diet. So the, so the reason why people actually started looking at the gluten-free diet is um, probably because people felt better and were losing weight when they would start this diet, whether they needed it or not. And if you, if you really ask yourself, okay, why, why is that happening? Well, because by definition, the main groups of things that don't contain gluten are fruits, vegetables, and meats, right? So anything processed, there's going to be a question. And in process, I don't, I'm not saying this is like an evil or bad term. I'm saying process, like we have to make it like bread or crackers or snacky things, whatever it is, all of that stuff has to be in some way processed. And it's really easy. It's grab and go. It, it's not always high fiber. It's, it's usually not much fiber at all. Um, can be not nutritionally dense, just continue, depending on what it is. Um, and so I think when people don't eat gluten, that all of a sudden they're eating more fruits and vegetables, they're not eating as much process, they're really paying attention to what is going on um, and what they're eating, and they, they stop eating as much process, at least in the beginning. And th- this is my just personal opinion on why people may lose weight on a gluten-free diet, um, even if they don't need it. So yeah, if you're eating more fiber, more fruits, more vegetables, you're going to lose weight. Um, typically it's, it's really good for you. And a lot of people will feel better, um, because they're eating less processed stuff. Um, but celiac itself, which is an actual inflammatory bowel disorder, it's anti, it's, uh, I want I keep wanting to say anti-immune, my God, I'm sorry, autoimmune. So celiac, um, is really quite serious. Um, and these people have a totally different risk, um, set of risks that comes with eating gluten. So they get, um, 
similar to like a Crohn's or um, ulcerative colitis, they get inflammation in the bowel. And so they have a higher risk for, uh, you know, nutritional deficiencies, different complications, maybe some cancers, they have to get more frequent colonoscopies. So there's just a whole different set of issues that comes with celiac. But celiac is very rare. Um, I know we think that there may be more prevalent than we previously thought, but right now it's at like 1% of the population. So um, that's still still pretty rare. But you can also have non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Um, and so you, you know, if you're, but the bottom line too, is if you're having any of these issues and you think you may have a gluten issue, go see a GI. Um, they'll test you. They will test, maybe do blood tests. They might do a colonoscopy. There's a lot of different things that they um, will do to try to get to the bottom of what's actually giving you these symptoms. You may have other allergies too that you, you're not aware of. Soy, corn, dairy, those are some really typical um, allergies that we see and that can cause, you know, wreak havoc um, on your bowel if that's not what you're really allergic to and then you start eating more and more of it. I actually heard a friend of mine's um, husband's story recently that they thought he had celiac. Oh my God. So he went gluten-free and he started eating more fruits and vegetables and everything that was gluten-free. And then he got worse and worse and it turned out he had a corn allergy. So it's, you know, can be crazy. Um, but definitely go see someone. So the next question was as a teacher, how can we help keep infection rates low now that we, um, you know, a lot of schools are going back or doing hybrid, man, um, this is hard, you know, kids have to be, um, that are in the classroom, you know, there's only so much that you can do in terms of distancing. And I know it's tough, probably the younger the kids are to keep, you know, masks on and things like that. But we know that masks work. We know that face shields aid in the use of a mask as well and adding an extra layer of protection, hand washing works. And we know all of these things that, that work. Um, so I think there's somewhere in the middle guys of totally shutting down the universe and just saying, F it, we're going back to normal. Um, so yeah, I mean, as, as teachers, gosh, it's, it's crazy. You guys are basically now on the front lines of, you know, potential for, for getting, for getting this thing. And even though we know that kids are typically doing pretty well, um, when they get COVID, that doesn't mean that they aren't spreading it to friends and family and people like their teachers who may not do well with it. Um, so at my daughter's school, you know, we all wash our hands or sanitize on the way in. They sanitize the kids or have them fully wash their hands at the sink when they first come in. They take actual hand-washing breaks throughout the day. And then when they leave, they hand-wash again. So by the time we get home and then Ed wants um, Evie to wash her hands again, we walk in the door and she's like, I already did that like five times. And she's right. She did. She did it a lot. Um, So one thing you can do too is just be encouraging to parents and to your kids to have the proper masks. So we're seeing a lot of people, particularly kids with these like neck gaiters on, um, and those have been shown to offer literally like no protection. Um, So the type of mask that you have actually does matter. Um, There's an article about the different types of masks and the thickness of the cloth and all that. So I'm going to try to find that and post it. this week to, so that you guys can see what I'm talking about. But yeah, so, um, you know, just encouraging or, or asking, uh, you know, specific parents if, if you have to, and which I know like, gosh, this is not fair to put all of this on you, but, um, 
it's a little late since we've already gone back and it's October. But I think of those like beginning of the year letters that we all get that's like, your child will need this. Well, maybe saying a single layer gator, net gator is not enough. Um, they need a double cloth um, mask or a surgical mask. Um, some kids with the ki- kids with different risks may ha- even have N95s. Face shields are great. Um, there's a company called Vision Visors that... Um, if you guys want to sponsor me, hit me up. Uh, we have like a million and I love them that makes these face shields for kids that are like a ladybug or a unicorn or a dinosaur or whatever. So if you've got a kid who you really need to protect a little bit more, but they have to be back in school, I would recommend doing, um, a mask and a face shield and teachers too. You can get face shields now on Amazon, um, for like a dollar and that is an added layer of protection and they're completely clear. So everybody can see through them. Um, ma'am, teachers, I respect you tremendously. I know that it's a crazy, crazy time to try to be a teacher and you can't make everybody happy. Like there are going to be parents who are happy, unhappy that you're not doing enough. There are going to be parents that are unhappy that you're telling them to do that it's too much. Um, the hybrid thing, I I don't know how people are doing that. And now in these hotspots where we're going to be going in and out of hybrid learning, it's, I just, I don't envy any of that. I know it's incredibly hard. Um, so gosh, moving on, that is a hard one. Do we really need as much protein as the fitness world tells us? I'm a vegan. Okay. This is a really complicated question and I will preface it by saying I am not a dietitian at all. Um, I, my undergrad degree is in health and human performance. Great. So I've had like three nutrition classes. That's it. Um, so I think if you look at the just straight up recommended daily values for protein, that is literally what it takes to just for you to just like stay alive. It's really low. Um, so it's 0.36 times your body weight in pounds. Um, and that's really, really low. So for a person who weighs, let's say like for a woman who weighs like 125, that's that's like 44 grams of protein. That's not, that's not a ton. Um, then you have this whole other spectrum of what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying, are you active? Do you exercise? Do you lift weights? So I think the reason why the fitness world is so big into protein is we have to have more protein in order for our muscles to adequately recover. Um, and for our muscles to grow, right? So if you're a vegan and you're only eating your barely recommended, you know, you're eating your 40 grams of protein a day and you're working out a lot, then you're probably going to need more protein. Um, there are plenty of plant-based sources that you can get plenty of protein. You do have to be a little bit more strategic and think about it a little bit more, but my guess is if you're vegan, then you're willing to do that. Um, and I think there are a lot of things that we we don't realize can be higher in protein um, that are not meat or beans or rice. There's there's just a lot out there now. There's plenty of um, vegan protein supplements. There's pea protein, hemp protein, soy. Whey is not vegan, but I mean, there's plenty of ways to to supplement with protein. I love um, Amanda Howell Health is. She's a nurse with an MPH and she's, I think she's an NP school right now, but she's, um, and also is like a certified personal trainer and she talks about protein a lot and, um, you know, just that we think we need all these other different supplements, but really that if we would just add like a simple scoop of protein powder, then a lot of the issues that we deal with would 
be better. So we probably do need more protein than we want to acknowledge, but there's a spectrum, right, of what you're doing. So if you're vegan and you're just living your life, then you can probably stay just right above that minimal requirement. But if you're a vegan, you know, fitness person, it's going to be different. Um, thoughts on retinol thinning the skin and causing breakout. I do not think retinol thins the skin or causes breakouts. Well, okay, I say that. So retinol is causing cellular turnover and exfoliation, helping exfoliate that top, top layer of what is essentially dead skin. So I think there is this kind of myth that it overall thins the skin, but ultimately it actually thickens the skin. So it makes you have a better skin barrier. It makes a healthier skin barrier. Um, and it doesn't actually thin the skin. It just gets, helps get rid of that top layer of skin that's dead anyway, skin cells that are dead anyway. And then by helping you, um, make better collagen, make more collagen, stimulate, stimulates the collagen production underneath. Um, that's how it's thickening the skin. So that's one of the reasons we we recommend a retinol eye cream around the eyes, because part of the issue with dark circles is that that skin underneath the eyes where like the bags under our eyes and dark circles under our eyes, it's so thin and fragile that you can like see all the little vessels under there sometimes, which makes it have that more dark and purpley appearance. I mean, some people's vessels underneath their poor under eye skin is like so prominent. Um, and so retinol actually helps improve that with time. So, and then as far as causing breakouts, so this is a little bit confusing. When you start using a retinol or retinoid, something in the retinoid family, you may have worse breakouts in the beginning. The reason for that is because your skin, like I said, it's getting rid of that top layer, that layer of dead skin. You're purging, right? So you've got all this bacteria and dead skin that lives, lives underneath the surface. And when you first start these products, it can help basically bring that out. So I tell acne patients that are starting starting a retinoid, you absolutely may get worse before you get better. And you have to kind of suck it up and get through that time. And it can be really brutal for some people. But um, as far as it being something like that causes breakouts or, or contributes to them by itself, I mean, no, I, I, every acne patient or anybody who breaks out ever, I mean, really anybody over the age of like 25 should be on a retinoid. But even if you've got a 15-year-old or 18-year-old that has acne, they that's one of the main treatments. They need to be on um, a strong uh, member of the retinoid family. So I love this question. What are my personal symptoms of anxiety and how do I combat it? So this came because I posted a thing on Instagram this morning that I my anxiety woke me up at 5 a.m., which is true. And I was actually lucky today that it was... 5, 5.30 and not like 4 or 4.30. Um, if it's 2 or 3, I feel okay. I feel like I can go back to sleep and I don't then start to panic about not having enough time to go back to sleep. But basically, if I wake up after 4, like I'm up. So my personal symptoms with anxiety feel like chest pain. Like that's a very physical manifestation for me. Like I get literal chest pain. Um, I get so, so, so irritable, which I mean, I'm sure people that know me are like, LOL, you're irritable all the time. Um, 
but irritable to the point that's like not normal. You know what I mean? Like where every little thing can like is just causes me to like go into either like a panic or just anger with like the way I respond, you know, just like snappy, short, um, all of that, which is like totally unacceptable, particularly for like my husband and kids. I mean, so I think that, um, but, but you don't have to have any of what I'm having to feel like you have anxiety. So you may feel nervous. You may just feel restless. I mean, your heart can beat fast. You can breathe rapidly. Some of those may seem more obvious, but some of it is not as obvious. Some of it's just difficulty sleeping, you know, weird stuff going on with your poops. Um, just, feeling like you need to be in control. That's a big one for me. So the more I I feel like the more I'm in control, the more that I'm avoiding things that trigger my anxiety, which is ultimately not true, right? Like I'm putting myself in this like vicious, weird cycle. Um, So there's a lot that can be a symptom of anxiety or depression that we don't necessarily realize. You don't have to be having a panic attack to be having anxiety. Um, Although interestingly, we absolutely would see people come in with um, chest pain, feeling like they're having a heart attack, and it, it actually is a, just a panic attack. Or not just a panic attack. I mean, panic attacks are freak- terrifying. I mean, I've had a panic attack only one time, thankfully, to the point of where I literally was telling Ed, like, I can't catch my breath. Um, it was also because I was on steroids for something, too. And at like my brain could not even put that together. Like, of course, it was the worst panic attack I've ever had, which was definitely because I was on steroids. I can't remember why. I think I was sick or something. But yes, um, and it was it was horrible. So, how do I combat it? Um, I mean, I don't. I'm I I exercise as much as I can almost every day. I know that helps me. Um, I try to go to bed before I need to because I just lay there. I shouldn't have my phone in my bed, but I do. Um, I try to get enough sleep. I try to do things before, like things that I know make me nervous. So time is a really big thing for me. So like in the morning, I it just like crushes my soul to like get everybody out the door by like 830 or 840 because I'm like, we cannot be late. And I wish that I could let go of that, but I just can't. So I try to do a lot of things the night before. In addition to that, I have been on and off anxiety medication for the better part of 10 years. Um, I was on Prozac for a really long time, did really well with it. I remember the first time I went to see a psychiatrist and taking, um, So the way they diagnose it typically is by using surveys that kind of help give them an actual objective data to to tell us where you are and, you know, where are you in terms of things like panic and how you feel about yourself and how you feel about your surroundings and your life and yada yada. And my psychiatrist was very clearly like, there. I have a threshold for when I need to put people on medication. He was like, you're way over it. So I got on Prozac, 10 milligrams. It was awesome. Um, I saw a huge improvement initially. And then, you know, as different life circumstances happened, like I actually did really well with pregnancy. Um, I didn't have any, like my anxiety was great during pregnancy. I really didn't have anything crazy during, I didn't really have postpartum depression. I definitely had crazy anxiety with breastfeeding because it's hands down the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and then the reason I got off Prozac is because when I had my, all my headache and brain surgery stuff, when was that? started in 
fall of 2018. Um, my surgeon wanted to switch me off of a serotonin drug and onto a different drug called Effexor because apparently serotonin drugs like Prozac can, um, worsen your headaches. So I, I was on Effexor for a little while and I think that helped control it. And anyway, recently I'm just being like super honest. I, I weaned off Effexor because Effexor is the worst drug ever. Um, got off that and thought I was just going to pop right back on my Prozac. And that has not happened. Like I got on it, was on it for a couple of weeks and I've had crazy insane headaches. Um, and just, I don't know. So in the meantime, this is a really long answer. I'm sorry. But in the meantime, um, they are starting a new ketamine clinic, ketamine treatment at MUSC. And, I am kind of pilot helping pilot the the program. Um, it's better f- for depression typically, but it has a lot of uh, um, positive effects ac- actually in um, anxiety. So I've done two sessions. I plan to do six and then just see how I am with that. I'll keep you guys posted. If you'd like to hear more about the ketamine, let me know. Um, yeah, to just see how I'm going to do with that. But if if that's not enough, then I will probably try to find another drug that works for me. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot that I do that's not drug related. And then I've certainly taken, um, a couple of different meds that, you know, Prozac was super helpful, helpful for me. Um, yeah, so there's a lot to do with that. And we could do like a 12 hour podcast on anxiety and how to combat it. I need to have a couple of mental health professionals on here because I love that. So if you know of one that would want to do it, let me know. And my friend Andrea, hope you're listening. We need to record soon. Um, so next question is my thoughts on the recent Figs ad. Okay. So Figs is a scrub company and recently they put out an ad that was a female DO, which is a doctor of osteopathy. Um, and that is a different way to become a physician. So there's MD, which is medical doctor. And then there's DO, which is doctor of osteopathy. And this woman was holding a medical terminology for dummies book upside down. Um, and the reason why that was very inappropriate and really hurtful is number one, it completely debashes the, um, profession of, of DOs, which they, they have, I'm not going to say that it's the exact same schooling as MDs because it's not, it's a different way to, to, to present the information, but then they then go through the exact same residency and training. So you may have 10 residents in an internal medicine residency and five may be DO and five may be MD. So at the end of the day, while their school may have been slightly different approaches, their training is ultimately the same. Um, DOs are amazing. We have tons of friends that are DOs There are tons of, you know, physicians that I've seen that are DOs that are wonderful. So I think, and, and the reason why that's especially harmful right now is because president Trump's physician at Walter Reed was a DO and people really went after that, which was just unacceptable. I mean, I hate president Trump, but like that doesn't have anything to do with, I mean, I shouldn't, I'm not going to be like, oh, his doctor's a moron. Cause he's a DO. Like, no, he's not. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. It, that's just not accurate. So that was really, you know, inappropriate of the left or whoever started that, I'm sure. to Actually, this, I think it was Cher's tweet, which was Cher, what are you doing? Like, get out of here. But so, and then not only that, they had a male nurse in the same ad type holding the medical terminologies. And, and the reason you would know that is because they're 
they like zoomed in on their name tags, which had DO, and then they zoomed in on the name tag for the male nurse that had an RN. So these are harmful stereotypes in medicine. It's harmful for women. It's harmful for men. Like we wish we had more male nurses. We need more female physicians. And so it's just harmful all around. Do I, do I understand their logic? No. I mean, it was super dumb. Like I, I can't imagine what fix is a huge company. Like what marketing person was like, yeah, people will think this is funny. I, I, I don't know what they were thinking. I love the way though, that Natalie Crawford responded. Um, she's a physician on, um, that's you know big in the social media world. And she has been a big ambassador of, of fig. She did a huge campaign with them where she was on like the billboard in Times Square. Um, and the way she was responded, she was like, they've made a mistake. I'm not happy about it, but I'm not going to act like they haven't supported me in my career when no one else would, you know, told me that I could do things that no one else could, you know, it's a woman owned company, a woman led company. You know, she's like, we all make mistakes. They need to own it. They need to apologize, but I'm not going to just, you know, turn my back on them and act like they weren't there for me in a, during a time when I really needed it. So I love that, um, you know, that response, like, yes, they need to apologize. I I haven't, I looked at like day two and I was like, that's kind of a doo-doo apology. So I need to look again and see if they did any more on that. But, um, you know, we're just in this crazy cancel culture right now where people aren't allowed to make mistakes and they're, you know, they're varying, you know, (laughs) severities of that, obviously where some things are just pretty unforgivable and we're not, you know, we gotta, gotta, gotta cancel you. Sorry. Um, racism, but you know, there are a lot of things that are just, I I don't know what they were thinking with these ads, but I can assure you they didn't intend to offend and particularly offend their target audience. I mean, their target audience is women in medicine and then they make cool scrubs like for males in nursing. I mean, so I, I just don't understand it, but you know, I have figs. I love them. Our company, Skin Click, wears figs. And I, I just, I'm not going to cancel my life with them for that. I think it was really shitty. They need to own it. They need to apologize and, and do better. Um, but yeah, so here we are. Um, next question is re-COVID and the holidays. Ugh. Okay. I think that each family has to make the best decision for their family. It will look different for everybody this year. Um, you know, if you, if you are, it, there's, and there's calculated risk with everything. So I don't think I, anybody can say like, it's totally safe. Go ahead and get together. It's fine. You're all coming from different walks of life and school and jobs and traveling and who knows what, like, yeah, the more people from the more places with the more exposure, with the more travel, the higher the risk. Um, so for me, that means I won't be seeing my parents at Thanksgiving. My mom, um, and dad are 69 and 71 respectively. And just for us and for their, um, specific situations, we, our children are now back in school. And so that means, you know, we won't see them for Thanksgiving this year. We just saw them for a week right before my kids went back and, Um, my hope is that when the kids are out for Christmas and they've been, um, you know, away from larger groups of people for a little while longer and we can make a better, um, decision, then we hopefully will get to see them for Christmas. I think, um, you know, you really need to look at 
all of those those factors. I, I, I just, it's it's tough. I mean, but that's how it is right for like literally every single decision that we make. Um, and I wish that everybody else would be making decisions in that way. You know, there are a lot of things that we're all missing out on in this last um, eight months and more months to come that, it, you know, is heartbreaking. Um, but it is what it is. It's a global pandemic. And America is, we are not the only people going through this. The rest of the world is going through this with us. And we're acting like we're the only ones that it affects. So I think that we could not be reacting to this more selfishly. I think we are clearly saying our needs are different than the rest of the world and we are not gonna basically take the precautions that we need to um, in order to, to kind of make this thing go away faster. I'm just, I'm praying that there is a vaccine soon, praying that the safety data, safety, safety data, safety data looks good and that we're able to get it, you know, widely distributed really quickly. Um, yeah, so it's tough. What cleaning products do I use in my home? Are they chemical free? Um, so first of all, very important note here. Chemical free is not a thing. Did you know that every single thing that is on this planet is basically a chemical? Water is a chemical. Air is a chemical. Everything is a chemical. You can't say it's chemical free. Um, it's, that's just not possible. So, um, that's the most important thing to understand. I think there's no such thing as chemical free. There's no such thing as toxin free. By definition, um, toxins are natural and the dose makes the poison. So you can overdose on water and we would call it a toxin um, at that point. So yeah, that's the first thing. What cleaning products do I use in my home? Uh, I don't know. Gosh, I mean, Clorox, it just depends. Um, what also is toxic is mold and mildew. And I know I'm super allergic to mold. Um, so I, you know, the way that I know to combat that best is by bleaching things. And it's just, it's hard. I do think there are things that are probably as efficacious as some more traditional, um, cleaning products that I do feel a little bit more comfortable with. Um, I like the seventh generation brand. And when we, you know, when COVID first started, I was using these cleaning wipes on the table. Cause I'm like, well, the kids like eat on the table. I don't want to use a Clorox wipe. So I'm going to use a, a, um, seventh generation wipe. And we were looking at it cause I was like, well, is this actually adequate enough? Like, does it kill COVID? And it turns out it does. So, um, that was a random side note, but yeah, we, we use a plethora of things, but we certainly use a lot of totally normal cleaning products. I, I also don't get too crazy weighed down in that. I know that there are things that um, people have concerns about, like parabens, um, but I just, um, parabens, phthalates, there's like a million different things. There's just not strong enough data for me to stop using those right now and also weighing with that that things that we also don't want in our homes are illnesses and mold so that's my personal philosophy but I totally get it I don't I would never fault anybody for using all those products what I do fault people for is making others feel less than if they're not using them so if you want to use all the green 
you know, natural products you can find, like, I think that's great. Um, I do some of both. And what I'm not going to do is fault other people for, um, for not using them. I'm just not going to do it. So flu shot and why it's important this year. Oh, Lord in heaven. So the flu shot is important every year, right? Um, I think we have not given flu enough credit for how many thousand people it kills every year. I think we don't give flu enough credit for how many um, children it kills. I just, I think we don't take flu seriously enough. Now, put that in the middle of another, um, and flu is a pandemic every year. It's, we just don't take it as seriously. So um, that's also one thing to say. Now we are looking at having two respiratory pandemics in the middle of the same season. And flu, the people make this argument that the flu shot doesn't work. Well, you can't make that argument, number one, because if it does, even if it, it does work, even let's say if it's l- less effective this year, 50%, or even hell, 25%, that didn't mean it didn't work. Because number two, we know that people that are vaccinated against the flu have better outcomes and they do better in their immune response to the flu. They are less sicker, they die less. I mean, it's just, you respond better. So you can't, I mean, there's no such thing as the flu shot doesn't work just because you got the flu shot and you, and then you got the flu. Hate it for you, but you probably got less sick because of the flu. We, we know that, um, that that's how it works. And so this year, I mean, you're looking at people getting flu and COVID at the same time. You're looking at, um, you know, the, we, the flu, the hospitalizations go way up during flu season. So now we're looking at hospitalizations going up from COVID, hospitalizations going up from flu, and that happening at the same time could be catastrophic um, for our hospital system. And uh, just it, it's just not a big deal. I mean, get your flu shot. It's so so helpful to so many of us. And we want to say that, you know, we're young and healthy and we're not going to get sick from the flu. And that's simply not the truth. And particularly for children. So even if you have a different attitude about COVID, because children are doing fairly well with COVID, kids get really freaking sick from the flu and they die. Um, So it's, it's bad. We need to have it this year. I have already gotten mine. I've got my children's, my husband and my mother-in-law have all been vaccinated. Those are the people living in our home. So hopefully we'll do Hopefully we'll do okay. All right, last question. This one is doozy. If you could only have one household appliance, what would it be? All right, I I mean, a refrigerator, I guess. Like, I can't answer this, Hallie. I, it has to be a fridge, I guess. Otherwise, well, I don't know. You know, I wouldn't mind going to the grocery store every day. I mean, if it weren't a pandemic, actually, you know what? Scratch the fridge. I don't care. I'd go to the grocery store every day for the rest of my life because I love it so much. So if it's if it's pandemic, I got to have a fridge. If it's not pandemic, maybe a stove because you can basically do anything you want on a stove. Um, if you're talking about gadgets, like household gadget appliance situations, um, maybe my Vitamix because we love a good smoothie but this is this is very tough I also love my tiny I have a little the little um is it two cups four cup food processor um the little baby Cuisinart and I use that like three times a week I love it I make cashew cream or like salad dressing or I hate chopping onions ever since I had um PRK which is kind of like Lasix and I don't wear contacts anymore I find chopping an onion to be very problematic 
Um, so I love putting onion in the tiny processor and just doing it that way instead of chopping it all by hand, which is painful. So that's pretty much it. Give me a fridge or a stove. Just depends on whether we're having a pandemic or not. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Um, I love the 10 questions. They're always a blast and they're so random and I love them. If you have any more questions on anything I talked about or you want more resources, let me know. And as always, if you like this podcast, please rate, share, subscribe, share it with your friends on Instagram. Um, Just leave a review. That's how we get pushed to the front in Apple. That's how people find um, me and how I can get more guests and better guests for you guys. So so you don't have to listen to me ramble every two weeks. Um, And I'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye.